Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You know, there's a, a great verse in Ecclesiastes 5 I was thinking about, uh, which says, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God's in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. It's really tough in my position, just so you know. Now put the overhead up, if you could please, Deb. And uh, this message is really a continuation of last week. Uh, last week we talked about living a life free from distraction. And I'm really going to continue this week, but I'm going to call this radical singleness and radical marriage, as it applies to everybody in this room, I hope. No pets here. And um, as we walk out living a life free from distraction. Now go down to the verse for me just a moment. If you remember from last week, this was the verse 35 of chapter 7 was, was, the, was the central verse. And this is a translation of that verse from the message by Eugene Peterson. And it went, all I want is for you to be able to develop a way of life in which you spend plenty of time together with the master without a lot of distractions. And that's from verse 35 where Paul says, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So before I begin here, you know, we're talking about a life free from distractions, from what God has for your life and your relationship with him, to love him, to love other people. Uh, unless you develop a life free from distraction, you know what happens when you come across like the Good Samaritan on the side of the road, a man beat up and dying. If your life is full of distractions and complications, you know what happens? You don't have time to stop. You don't have time to feel the pain. You know what? You just walk right by and say, God bless him. Send somebody else because our lives are too encumbered. So let me ask you just real quickly, just raise your hands and say, what are some distractions in your life? That, what's the major distraction in your life that keeps you from a life where you spend plenty of time together with the Lord Jesus and develop your relationship with him? Raise your hand. Just, yes, work, okay? Yes. Glamour magazine. All right. And Cosmopolitan. Yes, the value is there. Yeah, Melanie. School. Get rid of that too. All right. Yes. What's that? Children. Yeah, get rid of them. Yes. <laughs> Joyce. Books. Reading books. Good. We got a balcony up there. What's that? Relationships. Yeah. Socializing. Wow. Entertainment. Okay, good. Sports. Can we just say a word for the next prayer just for today? It was a very big game. Sorry, couldn't resist. Anybody else? Yes. Church work. Church. Our elder first service said church. So get rid of church too. All right. <laughs> Listening to sermons. Another problem. Yes. What's that? The internet. Okay. Good. All right. Okay. Felicia. Boys. Ah, uh, those boys. I'll tell you, they'll kill you, won't they? John, expectations of other people. All right, all right, all right, okay, good, thank you. Boy, a lot of distractions in this room. Okay, now, if you're like me, every now and then I pay money to go to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, just to watch some people that are living a simple, undistracted life. The Amish. I love to go. And I just enjoy it, because their lives seem so uncomplicated, so free from distraction. And again, they've chosen a way of life uh, without technology, you know, and, and we, we pay money to go see them. But could you imagine... Could you imagine going there? And I try to imagine this. You know, you go there and you see a young Amish, you know, lady, maybe in her mid-30s, and, and uh, you know, she's dressed in her garb. And you come back six months later, and, and now she's, um, you know, she's kind of got her hair down, and maybe she's dressed a little bit differently, and, you know, she's got to go in to check her, her stocks and, uh, you know, go do her email. Then you come back six months later, and now she's got a mini skirt on, and now she's got the newspapers in her hand. She's checking a sports page, and, and now she's planning out her vacation to Cancun. I mean, it would destroy the Amish country tourist industry in a minute. But, you know, they say 30% of Americans uh, are experiencing high stress every day. Every day. Now, how many of you are in that category? Oh, my gosh. All right. Now. And that sleep, we, we, we lack sleep. And that most Americans could use between 60 minutes and 90 minutes more of sleep every night. You know, it's like when, you know, I love when daylight savings time is in our favor, you know, and you get that extra hour a day. We're saying that we need that every day, not once a year. Now, how many of you, would this, this would describe you? 
I'm going to read it. When I'm home, I try to make up for the time away at work with my family. And as a result, I rarely have any time for myself. Or I'm just worn out, Pete. I, I don't have time for what's important to me anymore, like time with my family, time to exercise, time, alone, time to be alone, time to read a good book. I long for a way of life that reflects my true values, that nurtures true relationships and builds community. Or how many of you live with this voice? It's always in the back of your mind, you know. When you're trying to, you know, slow down and be undistracted, it's like, you better hurry. You better hurry. You've got a lot to do. You're not getting enough done. Time's running out. And if you're not rushing, you're missing something. And, uh, you know, there's never enough money. And there's never enough time. And so there's no time for reflection, to taste the food, to enjoy people. And, and the, the word that's most used often for our culture is driven. Just, it's a driven culture. Just regardless of students, uh, young, old, it's just driven. Now, there's a plant, I can't pronounce this properly, so you science majors and others, forgive me, the Ibervillea sonari. I know, it sounds Japanese, who knows. Now, it's a remarkable plant. And uh, there was one that was on display at the New York Botanical Gardens in Manhattan. And for seven years, they had it in a glass case. And they had it in the soil, but they did not water it for seven years because it's a remarkable plant. And so every year, it would send its shoots out to try to find water. It wouldn't find any water, and the shoots you know, would come back in. Just There weren't there was any water, but it stayed alive. So they'd watch it every year, spring after spring after spring. Seven springs, nothing yet. The eighth spring, the plant sent out its shoots under the ground, into the soil, looking for water, no water. And the sadistic, now scientists of the botanical gardens, now had a dead plant on their hands. Now, I say that because most of us know what it's like to live life. You feel like you're in your seventh season. You're sending out your shoots, looking for some water to refresh your life. And it's just not there. And you feel pathetic. You feel like you're going to die. And you're just thirsty. Uh, you don't have any more energy. Now, we, we behave generally in two ways to this stress. Some of us, we get slothful. We just say, I, I don't have any energy left to even do the right thing. I'm just, I'm wiped out. Others of you are like me, when I'm, when I'm exhausted, I get more hyperactive. And fatigue just gets us busier, hoping that if we get busier, it'll accomplish what we're not accomplishing. And uh, the worse we feel, the faster we run. And some of us fall in that category. But it's interesting preaching on this today because, and last week, because my week, at least the first part of my week, was a disaster. And uh, I said to myself, I can't believe, God, your sense of humor, that this is my text. Again, uh, because I had a really tough week and uh, because I felt bombarded. I began to read all this sociology and, of our culture and think a lot about it. I began to talk to a lot of you in this room about distractions. And I tell you, I, 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 think I, I felt like I saw it with such clarity, the enormous pressure everybody's under. To live a life like this, friends, can almost seem impossible in our culture. A life in which you spend plenty of time together with the Master, Jesus, without a lot of distractions. Now. Here's what Paul's word was for the Corinthian Christians. Basically, grow up. You came out of that pagan way of life. Now, we're not in Corinth. We're in New York City. Nonetheless, the pressure's on us or the pressure's on them. And he's saying, you used to live that way, but now you're, you know Christ. And I'm calling you to a way of life over and above all that, singles and marrieds alike, in a way that you live a life undistracted, uncomplicated, where you have plenty of time to love God, be loved by God, Love yourself, and then out of that, you pour out love for people. So you know what? When you see, like, the Good Samaritan, the guy on the side of the street, you're not so crazy and wrapped up. You're able to stop, and the love of God's able to pour it out of you because you've not been squeezed into the world's mold. So let's read again our text. Look at verse, let's begin at verse 29 of chapter 7, and then I'm going to jump to 32. Ready? Chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, verse 29. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. Key phrase, underline that phrase. What I mean, brothers, is the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for the world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he may please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he may please his wife. 
and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. That's verse 35, and his translation in the message. All I want is for you to be able to develop a way of life, whatever it's going to mean for you, a way of life in which you spend plenty of time together with the Lord, with the Master, without a lot of distractions. Now, Paul's saying, again, you got to hear you, he's pastoral, he's speaking to you, he's, he's pleading with us to get out of this rush craziness and to live a life of undivided devotion to the Lord. He says that because in verse 29, the time is short. Your life is like a vapor. It's here, it's gone. It's like a, you sigh, it's over. Psalm 90, it's like a watch in the night. It's like a thousand years to God. Three hours is like a thousand years. And he's saying, the time is short. Your life is short. Do you know, by the, by the grace of God, you will walk out of here this morning. Maybe. But God may call, you may, you may not. It is God who sustains you every breath of the way. Now, Moses wrote a psalm, Psalm 90, when he was about to die. And he was looking at the promised land. He spent his whole life trying to get to the promised land. You know what? He wasn't going in. Many of you, like myself, we're going to have dreams that we will probably not fulfill in our life. Life is too short. But the next generation shall. And he had that eternal perspective. And, and he prayed this, Lord, grant me a heart of wisdom. I mean, Lord, teach me to number my days aright. He was reflecting on eternity and the shortness of life. And he goes, teach me to number my days aright that I, am, that I may gain a heart of wisdom. But teach me to understand that death, my life is so brief, Lord, but yours is everlasting. And my life is like a, a thousand years is a day to you, Lord. Now, uh, if you've ever seen the movie War and Peace or read the book, it's a long book. It's about a fellow named Pierre, one of the characters, is a member of the Russian aristocracy, wealthy. And uh, his life is empty and meaningless. But they're in a war with France, and uh, he gets captured by Napoleon's troops. And so he gets sentenced to die. And his whole life has been loose and empty, and he's the sixth guy online to be executed. So one by one, he watches a guy march up and get executed. The first five go before him, and he's now sixth, and he's, he's prepared to die. Now, at the last moment, he's unexpectedly set free. He's reprieved. Now, that experience of being reprieved transforms Pierre's life. And the rest of his life, he's, he, he values people, he's full of zest, he, he, he relates to the world totally differently because he's got this incredible sense of the shortness of time. Verse 29, the time is short. He's got it. That's what Paul's saying, a sense that your life is, you can barely hold on to it. And then he goes in verse 31, the world is passing away. And he says, we are to have that so that we live in a life we're so motivated to not be distracted because we need a tremendous motivation or else you'll just get sucked in and you'll wake up at the end of your life and say, I wasted it. I got so busy. What happened? I did not do the things I really wanted to do. I did not do what God had asked me to do. I got sucked in and before I know it, it's over. And uh, time is the most precious thing that one has. It's a gift and every second, once it's gone, it's spent. And every day and every moment of every hour is a gift from God. And Paul's saying, I want you to live free from the world so you can live it as God intends. So um, uh, in verse 32, underline this verse, he goes, I want you to be free from concern. That's all I want, Paul says. I want you to be able to develop a way of life, whatever it's going to mean for you to spend plenty of time with the Master without a lot of distraction. So we've talked about a simple centered life. That was last week, just a simple, centered life in the midst of a world that's crazy. Now, how, you know, how do you do that? I, you know, I, Mother Teresa, before she died, there was a book published about her that she wrote called A Simple Path. Some of you may have seen it. But here's what she wrote. She goes, we all must take the time to be silent and to contemplate, especially those who live in big cities like London and New York, where everything moves so fast. That is why I decided to open our first home for contemplative sisters, those whose vocation is to pray most of the day, in New York and not the Himalaya mountains. 
I felt silence and contemplation were needed most in the cities of the world. I always begin my prayer in silence, for it is in the silence of the heart that God speaks. God is the friend of silence. We need to listen to God because it's not what we say, but what he says to us and through us that really matters. Prayer feeds the soul as blood is to the body. Prayer is to the soul and it brings you closer to God. It gives you a clean and pure heart and a clean heart can see God, speak to God, and can see the love of God in other people. When you have a clean heart, it means you're open and honest with God and you're not hiding anything from them. Then she writes later, she goes, in the West, the tendency is to be profit-oriented where everything is measured according to results. And we get caught up more and more and more to be active, to generate results. In the East, especially India, I find people are more content to just sit under a tree for half a day chatting to each other. Westerners would probably call that a waste of time. But there is value to it. Being with someone, listening with someone, without a clock, without anticipation of results, teaches us about love. And the success of love is in the loving, not the result of loving. That's a powerful statement. And later on she says this, which I, I value so much. And she says, we feel that what we're doing is just a drop in the ocean, but that ocean would be a drop less without it. And I thought of just William, your little testimony about four years ago, what God's brought you. And I said, you know, that drop in the ocean is worth it all. So, I mean, how do you live a simple, centered life in the middle of New York? I, I think she hid it for us. You know, if I, if I was God, thank God I'm not, we'd all be in trouble. But I would not have sent Jesus when he came. I mean, do you realize when he came, you had to walk everywhere? I mean, talk about slow. And, you know, they got a story, for example, of Jairus' daughter. Remember, she was, his daughter was dying. Jairus was a ruler. And he came to Jesus and said, my daughter is dying. Come to my house. And he begins to walk there slow and then he gets distracted by a woman with an issue of blood and then he has a conversation with her you know and, and it's just like I mean I, I just I'm like I would have come now we could have done this thing so much quicker better you know we could have used the media TV satellite hookups we could have gone worldwide no walking to Jairus's house we could have got in a car and gotten there quickly trained something you know, we could have used faxes. I mean, Jesus could have had a phone, two phones. Whatever you need, let us know. We could have had him hooked up and taken care of this thing. But no, he said the perfect time in history to come, Galatians 4.4 4 says, was then. Slow. To walk everywhere. Because he did what the Father had him to do. Friends, that is so far from our world. But the call is a simple, centered life. For all of us, single and married alike free from distractions. So, now what Paul does in this text, and what I want to do this morning is, he, he takes and he talks to singles. I want to talk to the singles in our midst here, and then I want to talk to the marrieds, all right? So, go down here, and so I'm going to call this radical singleness, simple and centered. Now, most people today live a long period of adult life before marrying. Some people never marry, and due to divorce, there's another large population of single people who are unmarried, and then you have as you get older, a spouse dies, and then you have elderly people whose spouses died. So basically, all of us will probably be single at one time or another if we're not now, but single is, is a huge part of our culture and always will be, and uh, over half of new life and probably half of New York City is single. And, uh, but yet the message in the church today and in the wider culture is that if you're single, you're unfulfilled or you're not complete. I mean, it's very subtle. But it's there, and, and it's kind of like, you know, you're, 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 you're not whole. And uh, you've got to catch this, that in, in, the, in the culture of the day of Paul, it was almost obligatory that a Jewish man would get married. Now, most probably, Paul was married at one time, because every Jewish rabbi supposedly had to get married. So most scholars believe that he was married at some time. We don't know what happened, but by the time he became an apostle, he was single. And... Um, but, you know, the, the attitude in the culture was every man had to get married. 
And I'll, I'll read you some literature from the rabbinic writings of that day, wrote like this, as soon as a man takes a wife, his sins are buried. Any man who has no wife is no proper man. Talk about pressure to get married from family and culture, it's there. Now, you've got to catch this because for Paul to say in verse 7 what he says in this whole passage is incredible. It flies in the face of the culture. He says, I wish, verse 7 of chapter 7, I wish that all men were as I am. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now, the unmarried and the widows, I say, it's good for them to stay unmarried as I am. I mean, he basically, he, he affirms marriage, but he really says, I prefer singleness. And in fact, I encourage you to stay single. It'll make your life a lot easier with distractions to be devoted to the Lord. Now, uh, you, have, you have greater freedom of time, greater freedom of mobility, greater freedom with money, and from distractions. And, and uh, you know, very, very few single people ever say that to me today. I'll tell you that. That is not what people are saying about singleness. In fact, I mean, many folks say, oh, Pete, I'm single, and I don't feel complete. If I had somebody else, I'd be more complete. There are parts of me that aren't being developed, and I really can't step out and serve God because I'm alone here. Just, you know, it's so far from Paul. It's just like a million miles away from where Paul's coming from. I have great news for you. Jesus was single. I know it's hard to believe. And so was Paul. And these are the two leaders that set the foundation in the whole New Testament. And, and uh, you know, it's funny because for, for, you know, for married people who are on the other side, they're saying, oh, you know, if only I was single, I, and, you know, I'd be so free. They wouldn't have these constraints on me. And it's incredible. Now, for a thousand years in church history, really over a thousand years in church history, celibacy was the way to go. You got to understand this, that, that it was considered the best way to serve Christ was to be single, was to be celibate. I mean, basically, they took this passage, they went a little bit overboard. As you know, in at least the Roman Catholic Church, you can't even be in leadership if you're not celibates. And, uh, so, but they took this text, and in some ways, they treated it a lot more seriously than the Protestant Church, where if you're single, you can't be in leadership. There are many denominations where you cannot be ordained as a pastor or an elder if you're single. I mean, Jesus couldn't be in leadership in a lot of churches. And so what happened was after the Reformation in the 1500s, uh, married people came to the front and single people went to the back. And you've got to catch this for Paul. He's not saying either or. He says both are fine, whatever, but my passion for you is free from distraction. And if you're single, it's a lot better to do that. So my recommendation is do it. If you can stay single, I encourage you to do it so you can be... Um, uh, fully committed to the Lord. Now, Jesus is the model in all this. He, he models, he was whole, he was complete, and he was single. You have to hear this. Uh, and uh, he had full humanity in his singleness. He had a healthy sexuality in his singleness. He, he related well to the opposite sex, and, and, and in a very meaningful way, in a profound way. And we, we see in Jesus, like Paul, his interests are not divided, he's single-minded, and doing what God had for him on earth. We see Jesus and relating to the opposite sex. We see him in touch with his family, his nuclear family, yet we see him with close friends. We see him free to express love and care through human touch to both the you know, same sex and opposite sex. We see Jesus calling people to love each other as the love of God flowed through him. We see Jesus with close friends, and yet we see him needing a lot of time alone. We see a full human being in all of its beauty in the person of Jesus, fully God and fully man. And... Um, uh, he models something for us about full humanity. I, I, I want to lift that up to you because I don't think we hear that very often. Now, when I became a Christian, I was 19, and uh, this passage actually was uh, presented to me, I remember very early on, and studied it, and was deeply impacted by it, and especially verse 32. You know, verse, you know, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a, a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. And um, I, I, I remember just myself and a number of others around, around me at that time so appreciating singleness, the gift of being single. And, um, uh, you know, for however long God had, but saying, I'm going to take this time and energy and money and resources of my life, and I'm going to give myself to growing in God. To know God, to love God, to learn to love other people, to read, to study, but I'm going to give myself to God in a way that I know I could never if I was married like some of my other friends had gotten at that time. But, uh, you know, I rarely hear that from anybody today. Rarely. 
will you hear that? I mean, for most single people, I'm single, so you know what? I'm going to pick up a second career. Or you know what? I'm going to really, I'm going to fill up my 401k and I can retire at 45 or 50. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to pick up these hobbies. I'm going to take, you know, 14 lessons and three instruments and whatever, which aren't bad in and of themselves, but you will not hear very, in our culture, the way it's changed. Very few will say, you know, I thank God. I'd like to be married to me someday, but I thank God for the gift of singleness so I can give myself in wholehearted devotion to the Lord in a way that married people can't. So in fact, singles, you understand, it's understood from Paul, you're leading the way in the church. Because God's given you a gift for a season. I know, you know, you may not feel that way, but uh, that's true. You know, Hudson Taylor, some of you know the name, he was a Chinese missionary to China in the 1840s, 50s, 60s. And uh, he started the China Inland Mission. But he was, he fell in love with a young lady and uh, was going to marry her. And this young lady was a Christian, faithful. Uh, but he wanted to go to China. He felt that's what God had for him. And he was not going to have any salary to live there. And uh, basically, he wanted to marry her and go. But she really didn't feel too good about going to China and not having a salary. He could starve to death and it could be a big disaster and all that. And, and well, she wasn't being disobedient or anything, just didn't want to go. And uh, he made the difficult decision to follow God and say, God will take care of me. And the verse he, that was his life verse was Psalm 84, verse 11, where it says, No good thing does God withhold from him whose walk is blameless. And he struggled in his journal with, Oh, what do I do? And, you know, and here's what he wrote in his journal. Satan suggested to me this. He quotes, Ah, you know, you never used to have all these problems and trials before you started following Christ. You can't be on the right path or God would help you more or he'd bless you more. And he struggled. Later he writes, I can thank God for all of it, even the most painful experiences of the past, and I can trust him without fear for the future. But, uh, you know, many of us, when things aren't going our way, as single people are saying, is something wrong with me? You know, is, has God made a mistake? And I know some of you are sitting there saying, yeah, Pete, right. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, singleness. Yeah, gift. My eye, you know. And I just... You know, and I just want to, I know you're there, because some of you are probably going to confront me after this message. Now, I don't want to minimize, I am not going to minimize, and please, I don't want to be flippant or minimize the grieving, the sense of loss for many of you. It, it, all, you're all different places, and, and so I don't want to minimize that. And I know it's great, and there's a long process for some of you, again, depending on how you're built, and... Uh, to really come to a place to see God in the middle of all of us. I just want to know, I know you're there. But I, I want, can I just say this as a loving friend, pastor? I know the culture has put enormous pressure on you of the good life, of what a successful life is. And I want to plead with you. I, 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 want, to, I want to beg you to hear the word of the Lord, that God really does have a good plan for your life, to cause you to be joyful and complete and whole. And, but it may not look the way you think. It may not be the way you expected it to be or when you expected it to be. But I can promise you this, that if you seek first his kingdom, God will give you everything you need. That if you will put him first, no good thing will you lack. He who is blameless in him, he who walks with him. You know, Romans 8, that it, it, he, those who are in Christ, if God is for us, who can be against us? He will freely give you everything you need when it comes all, give, God says, it will be given to you. I, I, you got to hear this. I, I, God will provide for you. I'm not going to say how, when, or the way you want it, but he shall. And throw yourself, I want to beg you, throw yourself into Christ. Trust him with it. Serve him, know him, love him, grow in Christ. Do it. You have time. You have money. You have energy and availability that married people do not have. And I'll explain why in just a few moments. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with that gift? One of the stories that helped me immensely, uh, I never forgot it, was a little illustration. It's simple, but it so helped me, and I pray it helps you too. It was the illustration of a... a a king who was coming through a town on his carriage with his horses. And there was a, a man who was a beggar in the town. And he was homeless, and all he owned was a bowl of rice. And the king was coming through town, and the beggar got up to the front row as a carriage stopped by and wanted to get a peek at the king. And the king stopped his carriage right in front of the beggar. 
got out of the carriage and looked the beggar in the face and said to the beggar, what do you got under your coat? And the beggar says, nothing. And he goes, what do you got there? He goes, oh, I got a bowl of rice. And the king says, give me the bowl of rice. And the beggar, like all of us, is thinking about, ah, my future, it's all I got. You know, what's, what's going to happen tomorrow? And this guy's got the whole world. He's asking me for my lousy bowl of rice. Does he know how I'm suffering? And all these thoughts are going through his head. And so finally, the beggar pulls under his coat, out of his coat the little bowl of rice, and he takes two grains, and he puts it into the hands of the king. And he holds on to the rest and puts it in his coat. And so the king then goes inside of his carriage and pulls out a big gold pouch, and he takes two large gold coins, and he takes these two coins for the two grains of rice, and he puts it in the man's hands. And then he gets back in the carriage, and he rides off. And the beggar sat there, sits there and says, gosh, goodness, stupid. If I'd only given him the whole shebang. My fear is for many of you single people are going to wake up in 30 years and say, why did I hold on to my life? Because you said whoever tries to save his life will lose it. But those who give it away and lose it will find it. And I want to promise you, single folks, I know it's difficult. You're under enormous pressure. And I want to hear, hear this word of the Lord from Paul is saying, don't believe that lies. God will take care of you. Seek him first. Give the Lord your grains of rice. I know you say, I'm struggling. I don't have much. Give it to him. And the Lord says, I'll multiply it. I'll magnify it. I promise you, I'll take care of you. I know it may not be when you want it, how you thought, but I promise you, it'll be better than those paltry grains of rice that you've hung on to for dear life. And so here there's Paul saying, if you're single, it's okay to desire to be married. It's okay. But in the meanwhile, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord and to know him because it's a gift and an opportunity that may not be there forever. Okay, so... All right, we're done with you. Some of you are saying, thank God. Now let's go to the married, all right? Let's go down here to radical marriedness. And the same thing for marrieds. Paul says, simple and centered. Simple and centered. Now you'll notice in verse 29, he has a great verse here. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if. Now, underline that word, as if. That's the key phrase, as if. It's a great Greek phrase. You'll find it in the next two, as if, five times. As if, as if. And he's, he's saying this. Now, listen, there's, there's two sides of marriage in the Bible. One side, and, and we preach about this a lot, is the glory and the beauty of marriage. And Ephesians chapter 5, and Paul wrote it himself. And that's a picture of Christ in the church. That's one side of marriage. But there is another side, biblically, and it's here in this text. And that is that marriage is a distraction in your life in God. And he's very clear about it here. He says in verse 33, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, verse 29, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Now, he's not saying, you know, throw your husband out the window, all right? Or throw your wife out the window. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is, now, Paul understands it takes a lot of physical energy to be married. Just physical energy. I mean, just living in the same apartment or house, you've got to, you know, okay, well, how do you want to decorate? Uh, you like the TV over here, and you like, you know, the clothes over here. I mean, it's just a lot of energy. And it's a distraction. And you've got emotional energy. Okay, you're depressed. Let's talk about your sad. All right, you know. And, all right, and you've got spiritual, you know, and you've got all that stuff. But his point is that it takes a lot when you're married. And, and in fact, you want to add children. For every child, you want to add comp complexity. Now again, please, I'm not saying children are not a gift from the Lord, nor is marriage from God, because again, other sermons on that. And that is a side to it. But this is a side too, and you've got to hear it. It's, it's clearly in, in scripture, and because it takes a lot of time to nurture a marriage. A lot of time to move through. You have this vision and dream. Then you've got to go through disillusionment. Then you've got to move to mature love. It's a, it's a lot of work. And if you're married, hear this. Your call is to love your spouse first above everybody else on the planet. You've made a covenant before God to love one person above everybody else in the entire world. First. You don't have to go love everybody else and you give the leftovers to your spouse. No. 
You are to love that spouse as Christ loved the church and to love that person first and to so clear your life. You can't do a lot of things if you're married because you've chosen to love that person well. One person the rest of your life. And so God's intention is, is okay, that's your first ministry of your marriage is your spouse, to make that marriage healthy and then out of the overflow of that to spill over to other people. Now, guys... There's a lot of competing demands out there already, if you're single, let alone add this. Now, I still got to be undistracted to the Lord? Yes. But you know what? It takes a lot of time to cultivate this radical marriage. Because you know what? Let's just take the marriage covenant for a minute. I've got to be separate from my spouse. And I've got to learn. i got to work on myself, respecting myself, dealing with how I deal with conflict, my childhood issues and their childhood issues. And, and it's a lot of work. I don't want to get too en engrossed in them. I've got to be separate. Yeah, I want to love them. Then I want to be together with them. I want to die for them. I want to incarnate. Oh, incarnation? What's incarnation? You've got to enter their world, walk in their shoes. You've got to die for them. I mean, that hurts. I'm trying to live undistracted to the Lord. You're asking me to die for this person? Yes. And what Paul's saying is, not only my night you're married, and you're right, Paul says, you, now, you, now you have your interests are divided. That's true. But he says, married people live as if you're not in such a way that you have so structured your life that as much as you do exalt marriage, which is a good thing, it does not consume you. That your life, you've worked so hard. You've got married people, we have to work doubly hard to live a life without distractions, to make space to develop our relationship with God. I mean, to do everything you can, Paul says, individually, in your marriage, in your family, to live a life where you can develop time with the master without a lot of distractions. Are, you're, are you limited if you're married? You better believe it. But what does that mean? You know, I don't know. I, it means different things for different people. But Paul is saying, yes, God is calling you as a married individual to that kind of a life where when you walk along the road, maybe you can't stop for every guy beat up on the side of the road, but your life in God is such that it's full that you've got love for God, love for yourself, and love for others. There's something to give out there. You're not so consumed that you're wiped out. So you've got to make some hard decisions as a married person to not get squeezed into the world's mold. So what does it mean for us? You know, it's different things for different people. I know I've got to evaluate. My children can't be in three sports, four sports at once. Forget about it. I wouldn't even be in church on Sunday. Who's, who's got time? I can't buy every new toy on the market for my kids. I can't even, I don't have time to read the directions. All right? I've got to decide what to be involved in and what not to be involved in very, very carefully. How much, you know, not getting into debt and being very careful in what I purchase and materialism, because once I get over uh, the edge, before I know it, my life's being controlled by the debts I've got to get out of. And, and t how much TV do I watch? And telenovelas. And I say, excuse me, you know, how do I do that? And, that was a sneaky move, I know. But how do, I, how do I make space where I can be content and live a life of gratitude and contentment in devotion to the Lord um, and a pace? What pace can I handle? I, this past week, I, really, I lost it. I mean, I, I was a total disaster Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I asked Fatima. She was here Wednesday. It was terrible. And... Um, but I, 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 so I made a list of like all the stresses in my life, and there was like 16 things. As I said, first service, some of you were on the list, okay? <laughs> and, um, but as I looked at the list, I realized that it wasn't, it, wasn't out, it wasn't out there. It wasn't the 16 things. It was in here. It was in here. And it could have been three things. It would have been enough to wipe me out and be distracted. And um, a friend who's a computer guy shared a, this thing about a firewall. I don't even know what a firewall is in computers. I just learned about it. But, but it's a computer program that you put in your computer that blocks information from getting in. It blocks access into your computer and uh, messages from coming in. And, and that's why corporations and the government has that. And, and it, hackers who try to break into computer systems try to break through the firewall to get in. And, I asked this one fellow, I've been going around asking, what's your biggest distraction? This one guy gave me a great answer. He says, you know, it's not what's out there, Pete, the busyness of life. It's the absence of what's inside of me. And so what? Things just keep breaking in. Because I don't spend the time 
to build a firewall. I don't spend the time in silence so that things don't get in. And the best thing you can do if you're single here is to grow in God. The best thing you do for yourself and everybody around you, the best thing you can do for your future is to follow God. I thought one, one single guy came up to me for prayer at the end of the first service and says, Pete, I just want you to know, I don't know anybody in the world who's thinking like this in my orbit. And he goes, even my church life when I was a kid, I, don't know, I never heard this. And he goes, this is so wild. Now, the best thing you can do if you're married, you've got to hear this, it's the same is to not get so engrossed. The best thing you do to love your spouse is to follow Jesus. Do you know the Roman Empire, most of the early Christians were women. Women flocked to the churches because they found freedom in the church. They were equals with men for the first time in the culture. And, and so the church was filled with women whose husbands were not believers. And they won over the empire. They loved, they took leadership, they loved their spouses, and they served Christ. So I want to encourage you who are hooked in with non-believing spouses, it's okay. You follow the Lord and love them in the process and you can trust them. If you seek God first, he'll take care of the rest. Give, it shall be given to you. No good thing that does he lack through him whose walk is blameless. Don't blame it. I can't go. I can't follow because of him. Don't worry about it. You, as Paul says, all I want for you, single or married, is to be able to develop a way of life in which you spend plenty of time together with the master without a lot of distractions. Oh, I love that. Amen. Now, let me close with this. Here's a translation of verse 17 and 18. It says, don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, God, not your marital status, defines your life. God, not your marital status, defines your life. So I want to invite you this morning to fill your life with God. Whether you're here and you're seeking this morning, whether you've been a Christian 20, 30 years, and you're so engrossed right now, you're so distracted, you cannot see straight. And you say, Pete, the idea of living a life undistracted, focused on the Lord, I, I'm, so, I'm lost. I'm, I can't even find it anymore. I know. I was there just even Wednesday. I understand. We are under, in this affluent, prosperous culture, which is seeing a level of prosperity the world has never known before. Friends, the pressure is enormous. And so what's happened is the church in America is, 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 is so struggling, is, is, is anemic because we've been seduced. And I want to invite you to break free. God is good and he is for you. And we're going to come to the table of the Lord and eat and drink of him and invite him to build a firewall inside of our hearts to set you free. So can we pray? And Ken, why don't you come on forward and we'll prepare. Let's close our eyes and bow for just a moment. Father, we pray. I pray for the singles in our midst. I pray for the marrieds, Lord. We pray for each other in this room and ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would set us free. Free from the culture which tells us what a successful life is. But Lord, we know deep in our hearts that it's about thankfulness. It's about contentedness. It's about simplicity with you. It's about loving you loving other people. And Lord, I know that we all know what Mother Teresa said was true. We need spaces of silence. We need to get off the fast track. God, we need you. So Lord, we come to you for forgiveness, mercy, grace as we come to the table. Set me free. Set us free. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as we prepare for communion, Ken's going to bring a brief devotional. Very brief. Uh, you know, before we grow in the Lord, I think it's important to know who we are. Is there anyone here who is a priest or a priestess? Could you stand? We have one. Can we give him a round of applause? Thank you. I have another one up here. Okay. Uh, First Peter says right here, uh, you, are, you are an elect race, 
a royal priesthood and a priestly people. Is there anyone who is a priest or a priestess here? Stand up, please. Okay, could I get a round of applause for them? Okay. No, stand up, stand up, stand, stand up. Who's still sitting? Okay, it says here in First Peter, you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, and a priestly people. Is there anyone who is a priest or a priestess here? Could you please stand up? Give me a round of applause. Give me a round of applause. Is there anyone still sitting? Okay. It says here, 1 Peter 2.9, you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, and a priestly... Race and a royal priesthood, a priestly people. Do we have any priests and priestesses here? Is there anyone not sitting? Pete, they're all yours. <laughs> the priests and priestesses are here. <laughs> Worship him, come on forward. Ken, that was great. I guess I'll make the point. Friends, the reason we can come to this table is because we are all priests. And none of us is worthy to come to a table to eat and drink of Jesus. Are you? We come because he's worthy. He, remember, he lived a life you should have lived and died to death you should have died. That's the gospel. The gospel is a Jesus. It's based on Jesus' work, his righteousness that we come to God, not based on our works, our name. That's the beauty of Christianity unlike all other world religions. Friends, we're priests. It's not just for a select few that can come to the table. Anybody can come by grace. Listen, you need to build a firewall in your heart so things don't get in and distract you. You need to eat and drink of Jesus. That's what communion's about. So listen, if you're not a believer here today, I want to invite you to come to Jesus by faith. There's a great prayer in the back of your bulletin. And ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins and adopt you as a son. I got great news for you. Listen, the gospel is, he, first, he pardons you. Then he adopts you as a son or daughter, makes you a son or daughter. He's no longer your judge. Now he's your father. And then he makes you an heir to all the glory in the universe. And then he says, you know what? I've got a plan for your life. You're a work of art, Ephesians 2.10. I've got a purpose for you. I've got a place I'm taking you to. Now, now give yourself to me and let me take you there. But along the way, you need to eat and drink of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Because my life is to flow through you. You can't live this life on your own. It's impossible. You try to be undistracted in your own strength, you'll sink. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to take of communion. That's why you need time alone with God. You need it all. So do I. And this is a piece. This little thing like communion actually strengthens us in grace. So listen, Ken's point is you're a priest. I don't feel like it. I know you don't. But as I say, Lord, I come not in my own performance, not in my own works, but I come in the performance and the works of Jesus. That's Christianity. I come in Jesus' name, not my name. So get your eyes off of your works and onto Jesus' work on the cross. And then you're free to come boldly and partake of communion. Humbly, respectfully, but you come boldly to eat and say, Lord, I need to eat and drink of you so I can live this kind of a life without distractions. Amen, everybody? Let's all stand. And as Veronica's going to lead us in a song, and um, I think we're welcome to join in, right, along the way, Veronica? But I want to encourage you to come and take of communion. There's four tables set up down here, I think, or maybe three, and there's two up there, you'll notice, in the balconies. And as we worship... As you're ready, come and take the bread and dip it in the cup and partake, okay, as we worship. And let's just be inviting and asking the Lord to fill you with himself, okay? Amen. Come. The communion tables are open, and come and let's worship together. If we do this before we close, I, I just, I want you to think with me for just a moment of what is it going to mean for you to live a life where you are developing your relationship with God. What does it mean they have to say no to? What do you have to say yes to? What does it going to mean with your, about your relationship with other people and how you set boundaries? What are the limits that you have on you? Maybe other people can handle, but you can't. 
I'm just becoming so increasingly aware of the fact that when I say yes to certain things, they're not bad in and of themselves. I get to a place where I just lose it. I just, I'm just lost. I just, I can't, I can't stay centered in, on Him any longer. So God puts all of us with different strengths and weaknesses and certain limits, and those limits are a gift. But you need to know what they are and aware of what they are as you interact with the world. That's what Paul's saying here is don't get engrossed. Don't let it entangle you. Don't let it suck you in. Use it. Appreciate it. Be grateful. But you are above it. Your, your focus is on Him and that relationship you have with Him. So married, singles alike, we're all under great pressure here. But please hear this. God is good. God is for you. God has got a wonderful plan for your life. He really doesn't. It's a life of completeness and wholeness and fullness and joy. And it's one marked by gratitude, not resentment or bitterness. But it can only be lived in a place where you have space for Him. So I just, let's all stand and just, we're going to close. I just, just between you and the Lord, in a couple of moments of silence, just ask the Lord Jesus, Say, Lord, what is it going to mean for me to make space for you? Lord, what are the things that I'm involved in right now that I need to cut back? Or what do I need to be doing that I'm not doing right now? What are some places for me that I can get focused and, and centered that enable me to focus on you, Lord? Whether it's Tuesday night prayer meetings or cells, or the focused life class, whatever it is for you, whatever it is, what kind of people are there in your life that exhort you onto Him? That when you're with them, you get thirstier for God, not less. You need a few of those in your life, too. Just, re open, just open your hands up to heaven and just receive from the Lord for a moment. Lord, just release over the congregation right now, over every individual in this room, power from heaven, Lord. The Holy Spirit, just receive right now from the Lord. Just receive from Him. His love, His life, His power. The Lord says, He who asks, receive. You say, Lord, I need You. Fill me, God. Transform me, Lord. Set me free, God. Lord, I can't do it, but you can in me. That's the beauty of this Christian life. It's not your life. It's his life in you, living through you. And unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. And apart from me, says the Lord, you can do nothing. Just acknowledge that before until I can't. So, Lord, we lift our voices and hearts to you this morning. And God, I pray that you would knit us into a family and a body, into a community.